Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Hagelbon on Twitter, and I have with me today uh, a new friend of mine um, who writes all sorts of really great stuff on video games, um, Enrique Antero. Um, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm really, really happy to have you here. Oh, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate the invitation and the compliments. <laughs> oh, of course. Hey, can I ask, where whereabouts, so are you in Brazil? Yes, I okay. was born here. I live here. I never left here. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I haven't left my country either, so you know, no, no, no. Uh, we're we're both sort of just like uh, stable, uh, non-expats, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. No, that's that's great. Yeah, I I've been I've been really taken by. I just like just last night, although that's kind of giving it away a little bit for the audience since these episodes are going to come out more than <laughs> one night apart. Uh, but I just last night was talking to uh, Pedro Paiva about his work, and like, there's just so much cool stuff going on in Brazil with video games that I just, like, I, I did not know about until recently. I feel like I've missed out. Um, but it's cool. Like, and, I, and I'm happy you're here uh, to sort of, like, uh, you know, engage with it even more. So thanks for coming. Oh, no problem. And that's very cool that you talk to Pedro Paiva because he's a very interesting person. Yes, he does very interesting yeah. work. And he's a really interesting guy. Yes, he is. He, he became, uh, we became quite friends after... Uh, I talked to him to do that piece that you read, okay. uh, and we started doing some stuff together. And like nobody does this kind of work in Brazil that he does, you know. Like he's very special in this way. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of people do the work he does. Like it, it's it's really, I don't know. Like I I agreed with your with your article. So a lot of the stuff I'll be I'll be pulling from just so people know. Um, this is on uh, uh, Enrique's uh, Medium, which is at, uh, it's just at uh, Enrique, which is uh, at H-E-R-N-I-Q-U-E. Uh, so just go there. It's a Medium, uh, you know, medium.com slash at. Uh, and then um, you can find all these articles that I'll be referencing. So I won't, I won't give every single link, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're yeah, all they, here. You should, you should read them. Um, this one was also uh, was also published in, in Zeal. Yeah, they, right. They do like very awesome work too. It's a cool. Yeah, Zeal is something I'm new to as well. There's so much good writing and work on video games on the internet. Like I, it's it's hard to keep track of sometimes. But Zeal, I was super excited to find. There's some really cool stuff on there. They do really cool work. Like they do. Uh, one of the things that I like the most that they do is like uh, video game video game criticism through comics mm. and. Like, I really love the format, you know? There's one about Superhot, which I love. It's very awesome. Yes, yeah, should another read. one of those games. I'll probably end up messaging you on Twitter saying, I finally played Superhot, like, the same way I just did about uh, Super Hexagon. Because, like, I just... People keep telling me to play Superhot, and I just haven't yet. I have it. I haven't played it yet, though. Wow, it's an awesome game. It's a very yeah. cool, very cool experience. It sounds great. Like, it... And I... I know one of the people I talked to recently had played it on VR too, and said it in like a virtual reality was like it really worked for Super Hot, which surprised me. But I mean, it's cool. 
Yeah, imagine it would work. I, I never use it like a, a, a VR set. I don't know how it works exactly, but I imagine it must be a really cool experience to play super hot in it because it's not like very fast paced, you know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it's easier on the eyes, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I like. I, I feel like the thing that happened to me when I when I used. I got a I, one of my listeners. I was saying like I'm never gonna get a VR uh, rig. It's too expensive. And one of my listeners was like, I have one that's just taking up space. Like I don't. I don't really want it. And I said, All right. <laughs> they sent it on over. Uh, really, really nice of them. Um, but uh, I use it every so often. I haven't gamed much with it. I, I've tried like I've tried little things. Tried to like interact with it. If you get motion sick at all, though, it is like, it's a little hard. Like, it gives me headaches. It's like, it makes me feel very, um, like, if it ever takes off, I'm going to definitely be like a, an enforced Luddite or have to just deal with feeling terrible all the time. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting to know because, uh, uh, like you, uh, I see from your from your picture that you wear glasses. Yes, I always yep, wondered yep. What, what, how do you put on like <laughs> a VR set with glasses? You know, I have like I have computer glasses I'm wearing now, and they won't fit under the VR set. But my other sort of like normal, less clunky glasses will fit under there. But I'm pretty sure like any any like trendy frame now. You know how like the 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 trend has become more sort of like well, it kind of like glasses you'd find in the 70s and 80s, like the clunkier sort of like bigger um, frames are, are kind of more in. I don't think they would, they wouldn't fit. You'd have to figure something else out, wear contacts, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, yes. It's difficult to wear glasses, yes, lots of things that it's difficult to do. Yeah, people, people who don't just don't know. It's like a million things. Also, but then again, they don't know how good it is for the first time to put on glasses. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a true. pretty satisfying experience. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I, I liked the way you talked about, about Paiva's work in, in your article, because like, there's this way that you, you sort of describe it as, and like, I'm thinking about like, when you're talking about Mario and Plato, um, Mario and Plato, you're talking about like, the, the way that the game is, it, it feels sort of like, you know, the critiques of it were that it was juvenile or crass or whatever, and like, your, your argument about it is like, it's not that, but it's really hard to say why it's not that, and it's like... Hey kind of because of the tactile feel, kind of because of how much detail is in it, how much love is in it was sort of was sort of your your account and that seemed right to me. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel by it, you know, like it uh, I don't know, I think Pedro Paiva he he sorts of focus on this juvenile crass, very violent feels of like video games that we are used to, like but he puts it in a very different perspective, like in a very different way. Like, mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of work in it, you know, like, yeah, he thinks about, like, everything that he, he's doing, you know, like, very, uh, and I don't know, like, he, I, I, I understand why people feel that way, but I think if you really play it and if you look closer at it, like, it's going to reveal so much more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, the, I was saying to him, like, the... The ones that really, I, I, I really liked, um, and we don't, we don't have to talk about Pedro the whole time, but like, the, I thought the, um, I thought the SS Games uh, Violentos Probidao was like really, really good. And I, you know, I just liked it because of the story I liked. And I mean, you go into the story really deeply in your article about the way that he was sort of like punished and, and basically like blacklisted in education and what, what he was doing for a job because he just, you know, basically gave the kids some, some, um, some autonomy. Um, but I also thought like the the uh, the Kemsabeo Tordia, um, the one where you basically just like wake up and the the whole game is pressing up until you go through your day and go to bed again and wake up and do the exact same thing again. I like I said to him, I was like, that was crushing. Like that was just yeah. like, it was like it was such a simple thing, but it was as depressing and like sort of like impactful as any. I don't know, like any walking simulator, any like you know quote unquote art game that I would have played. It was just like it really. It just like hit me hard. Yeah, I feel like the like most uh, uh, mostly the uh, most of Pedro Paiva's games they are very like minimalist in mm. some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, like the mechanics are very minimalist, but they they say a lot because there's not much going on. You know, mm -hmm. like one of my favorites is about uh, uh, it's called uh, Trabalho Alienado. It's like alienated work. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like a version of Tetris there, uh, in which there is no oh. bottom, you know? Oh. 
Like, so the pieces keep on falling and falling and falling and you can't do much. You just control like the pieces and but like it doesn't mean anything, you know? So oh, that's uh, really interesting. Yeah, like those minimal interactions where you're just going through this stuff is like very conceptual in some sense. But uh, I think they I think he managed to say a lot with so little stuff, so little interactions, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um and, and, and that like I mean, so I, I guess I can ask this about you uh, to sort of shift the conversation to you. Like, I was—I think one of the reasons I really liked your article on uh, Super Hexagon, and I, I should say I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it—it it, it feels like the kind of games criticism because I come from an academic background, so like it feels like the kind of games criticism I kind of like dreamed about writing before I realized that the academy wouldn't let me do it. So I just kind of had to do it on my own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, like, the, the way that it, it connects with a sort of, like, serious consideration of philosophy via, like, Zizek and um, uh, Kierkegaard, um, and, like, the, 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 the question of faith and all that, it just, like, really works for me. And, I mean, we can talk as much or as little about it as you want, but the I noticed that, like, there is a kind of, like, similar thread between Paiva and Super Hexagon insofar as, like, both present a very simple framework that gets more and more difficult. I, I wouldn't say Paiva's work is as um, meditative as Super Hexagon. Uh, sure. But does that sort of like simplicity, that 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 um, that minimalist style, does that appeal to you uh, in games? Is that something you look for or is that just kind of like one of many things that you enjoy? I think, well, I think it's one of the one of the things that I enjoy like the most, uh, mm. I, 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 I really like that you like the piece because it's not, it's not one of my pieces that I like the most because, okay. uh, I don't know, I feel it's, it's really weird, you know? It's super weird. <laughs> no, it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm glad that you like it because I'm not a philosopher, you know? I just like very interested in philosophy. I like to read all this stuff, but uh, I don't, uh, I can't say that I understand it or I can't like, provide a, a meaningful a meaningful comment on philosophy and this kind of stuff but I really like the the I really like to explore the idea of of God and religion and most like rituals you know yeah so I feel like these minimalist games uh, like super hexagon like uh, some of Peter Paiva's work for sure uh, other pieces that I've worked on, like uh, about gardening games and this kind mm. of stuff, like I feel these these minimal interactions, they feel like me meditative in the sense that uh, they feel like very ritualistic, you know, like uh, like this idea that you repeat uh, something, that you repeat an action until it becomes meaningful, mm. you know, yeah, like. Like, this idea of religion mostly, like, uh, I think I, I talk a little bit about this on the Super Hexagon, like, say, that um, we feel like religion, like, you have to believe in something, and then you do rituals uh, to ex to express that belief in some, some sense, yes? And I yeah. feel like it's a little bit of the other way around. Like, we do, we do rituals, and those rituals become meaningful, and those rituals become, like, a kind of religion or of some sort, you know? And I feel like Super Hexago in the sense, to me, it feels like very much like that. Because uh, I played it, uh, like, to use the expression, like, religiously. Like, because I played <laughs> for a very long time and, like, all the time that I had, like, oh, I have 20 minutes, let me play a little bit of Super Hexago. So it, it kind of inserted in, it, it kind of inserted itself in my life. Yeah. In a way that, like, okay, so I need to concentrate a bit, or I need to relax a bit, or I need to distract myself a bit, so I'm going to play Super Hexagon, you know? And yeah. I feel like, like, because Super Hexagon, there's not much going on, like, represent, uh, like there's not much representation, like, there's not a, a story, there's, there's not much of anything going on, so I feel like it, it, it puts me in a state, like, where I don't where I don't mind, you know, like where I don't <laughs> mind stuff, where I, uh, where I don't think. Like people usually describe it as the flow state and this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, but I thought I, of that I, when I was playing the game, actually, the flow state. Yeah, my, my, first, uh, my first criticism of, of, of Super Hexagon that I wrote, 
uh, I talked a little bit about this flow state, and I think it's a very uh, useful concept to understand it, you know. But I think this this flow state is like deeper, you know, like or at least it can go deeper, you know. Like we can talk like uh, I think this flow state is is very similar to the the state that you get when you med meditate, for example, you know. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Dog in the background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, what else did you like about it? Like, I, I, I feel like it doesn't. I feel like the piece doesn't get to to a point. You know, like. I mean, so what I what I liked about it. I mean, that's like. So one of the things I think is is really interesting that you said is that you don't feel like you can say something meaningful about philosophy or or add something meaningful about philosophy. And I, I think that's like a pretty common. I mean, I don't teach philosophy. I teach English, but um, that you know, I basically like my my dissertation and my doctorate was very much focused on like basically focused on philosophy and I just kind of used it to read literature um, and now video games <laughs> but uh, oh that's interesting oh yeah no well, thanks I mean I probably less and less as you read more of it but uh, my work anyway <laughs> the philosophy well, is always uh, interesting well what ki what kind of philosophy were you were you focused on a lot of a lot of Marx's a lot of Marx and a lot of Hegel those were my two oh, big ones I see um, I see and then you know, just like some some literary critics who sort of bridge into philosophy. So you know, I can I can uh, I do pretty well with Derrida. I do pretty well with Foucault. Um, you know, those sort of like standard standard uh, standard bearers of literary criticism. Uh, Roland Barthes. Um, yeah. The, the the sort of like interesting um, continental philosophers like Deleuze and Guattari and you know Frankfurt School people like that. So I mean, I, some Kant. Uh, very little Kierkegaard. I just I, I kind of admire him from afar. I really like him, but uh, I see. <laughs> and a little bit of Zizek here and there too, um, and like Lacan via Zizek. I won't I won't yeah. say I'm very good. At yeah, Lacan. me too. I, I like it a lot too. <laughs> yep. Uh, I have a I have a bit of a background in literature too. Oh, like okay. um, uh, I started uh, I started my academic life like studying literature. Great. Uh, uh, Portuguese literature and English literature, but then I, I I I changed my degree to journalism because I don't know it. Um, I'm I don't have like a, a good reason for it, but mostly because I like to write. And in academy, I was losing like the touch mm. of it a little bit. No, I mean, but, that makes sense. Yeah, but I think literature and uh, uh, like it's. Like all these themes that I like to talk about, like philosophy and religion and mythology and all this stuff, like they come from literature, I think, you know, from from really liking literature and reading a lot of writers and wanting to find out more about this kind of stuff. So uh, like all this, this stuff about religion and philosophy, I kind of try to talk about it in a sort of a literary criticism uh, point of view too, you know? Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but I think that's one of the best ways to do it. Like, I think, so just real quick, I, 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 when you said you study Portuguese and Brazilian literature, I, uh, one of the things I touch on very briefly, uh, mainly because of my, my advisor is, um, is very, uh, one of his focuses is Brazilian literature. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he was, he was, I, he, at that point had tenure, so he was just, you know, teaching classes on capital and stuff like that going you know way into the weeds on stuff that wasn't marketable but when I he was see. when he was young and, and needed a job um he really focused on some other interesting stuff and and i think he still loves brazilian uh, art and literature quite a bit but uh, i did a little bit on um uh de assis um machado de assis yes yeah, yeah machado de assis um so i wrote a little bit a little bit on his uh, memoirs um in my dissertation it, it, it comes up um, it's the closest I got, though. But um, no, what I like about what I like about your philosophy is, is that you do approach it from a literary angle, which is to say, you do two things that I think are really cool. Which is the one you kind of accept what you don't know, or you admit to what you don't know, which I think a lot of analytic philosophers are not so good at, um, <laughs> and a lot of you know scholars aren't good at. But the you know the the, the, the per first part where you mentioned the dimension of the divine. The, the, the Zizek quote about bureaucracy and state bureaucracy being the only remaining contact with the dimension of the divine. You said, like, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that, and I'm not sure I do now, three years later. Um, I think that's great. Like, that's a really good place. Like, personally, yeah, that's, like, the perfect place to start for me, where it's, like, here's this line I don't understand, 
And then basically you, you ask this other question, which is the other good thing. You ask questions, and the question is like, okay, so I've laid out this case for why Super Hexagon is this great game, but it is meaningless completely, so why play it? And that leads you into the, the element of ritual. And I, yeah, it just all super works for me. Like, it's all, it's all a very, you know, personalized but open entryway into these, like, big questions, which ultimately, like, Hegel, Kierkegaard, any of the, the really fun philosophers from that period of time, fun is probably not how most people would describe them, but uh, I don't know. That's, like, that's what's so cool about them. Well, I, I really like, uh, I've been leaning... <laughs> I've been leaning uh, uh, more and more in this kind of uh, of writing that sh like you're making questions all the time and you're yeah. answering your own questions. Like uh, I feel it 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 feels a little bit more participatory. I think for who's reading, you know, like maybe oh maybe you sure. thought of this question, so let me let me get a, try to get around it or something like this, you know. Yeah. And I'm doing that a lot. Uh, that's good to hear that you like it because okay, so I can keep on doing that. <laughs> I think you can. No, I think it's. I think I. I was really, I was really happy to see. I mean, this this is this goes into the weeds. So if anyone doesn't care about philosophy, just you know, skip skip ahead a little bit. But I was really happy to see that you used Kierkegaard for the ritual element because I I use Hegel as a crutch for all of that because Hegel at the end of the um, the philo the phenomenology of spirit says basically what we need is a Christian church without Christ. Um, so what you need is the church. Um, just there's no there's no God in there. It's just it's just the it's socialization. It's just socialization over and over and over again. And that's what he finds valuable. And it's a version of Kierkegaardian philosophy, but without the kind of, um, without the really like fra fragile element of Kierkegaard, which relies on the fact that he does value ritual in the same way, but also really does also think there's a, there's a divine that is worth commun communing with. Um, and that works so well for something like Super Hexagon, where literally if you're just doing it over and over again and, and perfecting it, it's purely an act of faith or even just like it's an act of faith that comes out of ritual as you say yeah i think so too uh this this quote about uh about Isaac that he calls bureaucracy uh the the last dimension of the divine that we can assess like um, for the modern secular man yes yeah and i i like this it was really burned in my mind the this quote because of from the first time that I've played Super Hexagon, like I've thought of Kafka, so like yeah, like uh, the literary criticism background that we've <laughs> been talking about. So I've thought of Kafka like right away, and I didn't know exactly why, or I didn't understand why it felt like Kafkian, yeah. but it reminded me like this sort of organism that doesn't care about you and you don't understand, but you have to engage with it in any way you it's possible, you know. And like some years later, I found this this quote by 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 Zach that when I was reading his book, because I was interested in this kind of stuff about religion, and he talks a lot about religion and Kierkegaard and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so like uh, the 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 connection was too much for my intellect, you know. Like <laughs> okay, so I have to write something about this because. Uh, like it's not just a coincidence, you know. Like maybe there's something here, uh, and these uh, and these ideas about Kierkegaard, I had been exploring at the time. I had been exploring for some some months. Uh, I had a, a small YouTube channel where I did some video criticism, like in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not very accessible for your listeners, maybe, but... <laughs> I mean, some uh, of them might know Portuguese. If you do, uh, you're, yeah, that's you're, true. you're doing better than me. Um, yeah, I wish I, I wish I knew it at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's a very fun language, I think so, at least. <laughs> and I, I explored these ideas of Kierkegaard uh, about the absurd, you know, like the virtues mm -hmm. of the absurd uh, through sport and competition and this kind of Great. stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think it has, like, very similar stuff because uh, my argument was that, like, Daigo Mehara, like, the, the famous, that famous uh, Street Fighter player, yeah. and he had a, that famous match where he, like, defended a lot and he was... Oh, the, almost... the, the, the Ihan to Chun-Li match, right? 
Exactly. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, I think it, I think it was Ken. Ken oh, it was and Ken. Tune. Yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking yeah. the thousand the, the the thousand leg kick, but it was uh, it was one of the it was like a super shoryuken, right? Yes, exactly. Like he defended like uh, fifteen or uh, I think uh, fifteen hits. It's unbelievable. Like yeah, I I like that was the first time I realized that there could be, a, and I you know like I I love it now. I've been I've I'm been to uh, I've been to the fighting game events now, and it's just it's the greatest. But like that was the first time when I saw that video that I realized that like it could be engaging and fun to watch someone play fighting games. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. For me too, because uh, I've always been kind of shit in Street Fighter. So, uh, <laughs> but that moment, uh, and I use that moment as an argument for, like that sport and these kinds of rituals. They they open up like spaces where sometimes amazing things can happen. You know, like sometimes incredible things happen, things that are kind of unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and exactly because they're like unbelievable, it it feels to me like this kind of argument that you need to have some faith. You know, like that. Um, I don't know. Like these ideas are very, very messed up. <laughs> they are very all, all all over there. You know, that's why I don't like that piece about super hexagon that much. But <laughs> mostly, what I'm trying to get at it's this aspect that. Like, in ritual, there is, like, endless possibilities, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, when you're repeating that stuff, when you're doing that stuff over and over again, and that's why I associate it with sports, because in sports, you're practicing something over and over and over. So just, just so you get that one little moment, you know, where everything falls into place and you play very well and you yeah. do some something amazing and I think that happens in super hexagon a lot you know like sometimes I'm playing and like it's not my level of skill you know it's like <laughs> oh I, I can't play that I'm, well I'm so yeah. <laughs> yes like I can't play that well so I am I am I surviving that much you know or sometimes it's easier you know like why yeah. why it's so easy this time and sometimes it's so difficult you know it so reminds me that, oh sorry yeah. go ahead no yeah yeah I, oh. I was finishing up yes <laughs> no i mean it just it reminds me a lot of um so like modernist poets and writers american modernists uh would talk about um the ways that um i guess british ones too and probably most modernists probably around the world but particularly American ones I know, uh, like Faulkner and, and um, uh, Faulkner's a good example, or Dos Pesos, are, uh, will say things like, the, the way that you write good art is to um, provide it with restrictions. So that like any good art has to have like a series of rules that bind it, because within the bindings is where you actually produce like truly creative and new content. Um, and, and there's something about that in Super Hexagon and in 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 sport and, and anything like that, where like you're given these rules and oh, let me let me put it this way: Have you played um, have you played the Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past uh, randomizer at all? Randomizer? I don't think so. Yeah, so they put out this thing. You can it's downloadable. It's it's free if you can find the ROM. But it's um, basically it's a little program that if you have Legend of Zelda, it'll um, it will randomize everything in it and technically you're supposed to be able to beat it at any given time but like have you played a link to the past the old super nintendo zelda yeah this one yes yeah yeah um so basically like it just starts you out and all of the items are in totally different places all the keys are in totally different places the dungeons are out of order what you can get when is out of order um and it makes the game totally crazy to play like it it is a it is a very strange experience that's uh, so cool. It's really, really cool. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're doing all those sorts of games now. There's a, apparently a Dark Souls randomizer that I, I really need to try at some point. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a really cool idea. And one of the things that's fascinating about it, now they're doing like com- competitions with it and stuff, it, what's fascinating about it to me is like as it gets better, right? And as it gets to the point where like you really can believe that, okay, uh, there is a way through the game that belief that like you can get through the game that functionally the game will work that, that's kind of the same thing that I feel when I'm playing Super Hexagon where it's like this feels impossible but the game is made in such a way that it is possible none of this is like unfair to the point of being undoable um, and that's the same thing I mean that's the same thing you talk about this in the essay where it's like you 
pray and you do rituals and there's no there's no accounting of like why any of those rituals would actually pay off. Um, you know, uh, Abraham uh, sacrifices Isaac um, even though he doesn't have any real proof that anything's going to work out. And all of those actions are done via a total belief in the system that you've spent so much time in. Like, there has to be a sense at the end of this, um, at least a logic to it, that allows us to, if nothing else, complete the game. Well, that's a very interesting thought. Wow, that, 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 yeah, I have so, so much that I want to talk about. <laughs> Let me <laughs> get my thoughts together. Yeah, that's um, Because, like, this randomizer thing, I, I, like, that's very, very interesting because, uh, like, I'm interested in this kind of stuff like religion, mythology, so naturally I'm, like, very interested in tarot and mm. this kind of stuff, you know? And I have a piece, actually, about uh, divination games, uh, like there's some indie games like uh, Natalie Lowheads and there is also Oracle by Semeluzini. I've heard of Oracle. Uh, it's like it's like a, a Oracle EP, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It's a it's 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 it's, uh, it's a Canadian game uh, game creator. He's like done. I think it's Oracle EP because he's he's trying to do like a sort of a mixtape, you know, okay. like a, a, a mixtape of video games. And this Oracle is the first one. I like and that. it's a very short experience. Like you go to a, to a fire and then you look into the fire and all these this, this scenes appear for you. Like, and it's random too. So every time you play, you get some different scenes. And at the end, like, okay, so you're left to make sense of what just happened, you know? Right. And all these divina divination games, they they work with that concept, like with that, like, uh, out of randomness, yes, like something beautiful can come up or you can gain insight into something, you know? Um, and uh, when you were talking about the, the, the modernists, I was thinking... I was thinking, like, about automatic, automatic writing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, those surrealist experience rewriting. I think the cut-up technique, too, that Burroughs used to use. Like, he would write yep. two pages and cut up and put them together to, to come up with something new, you know? Yeah. So I think there is, there is like, definitely something, something interesting about those rules and restrictions, you know? Like, because all divination games are something like this, because you are just restricting phenomena to to a certain pattern or to a certain kind of rule so you can make meaning out of it you know yeah so uh so that that example with the the randomizer i think that's very awesome to to watch and and also to play it you know because yeah like, check it so out <laughs> i i've only played it once like i didn't it was so it was such an amazing kind of weird experience that i never really followed it up i don't know if you've played games like that where it's just like kind of a an experience and you're just like that was the one experience i don't know if i want to try it again um totally <laughs> yes uh, but uh but it is it's very cool uh it's a great idea um but no i like i totally agree and i think like you know one of the uh, one of the things that's lost in thinking about the, uh, the over rationalization i guess like not to say that critiques of religion are bad and 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 we shouldn't be doing those either obviously you know wrapped up in Kierkegaardian, Hegelian, Marxist um, analysis is, is, a, is also some systemic critique of religion as well. Um, but just the critique of saying, like, none of this makes sense, right? It, it, it robs a sort of, like, understanding of the world outside of sense as, like, a, well, I have an outcome here. Like, I'm, I, this is outcome-oriented thinking. Like, if you care about outcome-oriented thinking, you wouldn't play... You wouldn't play Super Hex God <laughs> because there's exactly. no outcome um, other than beating it, and that doesn't get you much, um, as you say in your in your essay. Uh, but I think like like I sent it to a buddy of mine, Connor Southard, who he has a a, a podcast now on uh, on sci-fi. Um, oh, but uh, yeah, yeah, just just started just started right now. Uh, it is called uh, Podside Picnic. Um, but uh, but yeah. Whoa! What a great name. I know it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good name, God. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's really good. Um, 
but yeah, so he um, uh, he started that, and, and I know he's also thought like he's a writer, and, and he's talked about wouldn't it be cool to write for video games? And I I bought him a copy of Super Hexagon, and I was like, you got to play this in order to understand like there's no narrative, but like the mechanics here are basically a total distillation of what video games are. Like there's a rule set, you believe that the rules will allow you to complete the game, and that is all that's happening, and like. If you live by those rules, if you keep it up, if you put a put a, an amount of effort in, you continue on through into harder sections, and that's like that's totally it. Like that's what video games are. If you don't understand that, it's very hard to understand why anyone would, or like very hard to understand video games in general. I think. Well, I think uh, uh, that that also takes me takes me into like a, a strange train of thought. Like strange relations happening all, all around because, like you said, that his podcast name is Podside Picnic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I imagine that's a reference to Roadside Picnic, the the book that inspired Stalker and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I recently I recently watched Stalker uh, Tarkovsky Stalker for the first time, and I really love the game too. So <laughs> I was meaning to do that. And uh, at the time, I was also reading the Tao Te Ching, which is like a seminal book on, on Taoism, yeah. which is like an Eastern philosophy and so on. And It's a hard I book know, to like, read. Yeah, it is. It is, truly. And, and, and Stalker, the movie, takes like a lot of lines from this book, you know? And I don't Taoism, think I realized that. Yeah, it, like like some literal lines, like like they're directly quoted from the book. You know, it's a very it's a very interesting movie in the sense because there's a lot of Zen philosophy there. You know, like there's a lot of Eastern philosophy there that yeah. I like very much. You know, like I uh, uh, I don't know I don't want to to be like the Western talking about Eastern philosophy, but <laughs> I really like it in a lot of ways and. Like most of my writing, I think most of the things that I write about religion and rituals and this kind of stuff, they have very close analogies in Zen philosophy. Like this thing about restrictions and ritual, like this is a, this is a very common, common thread in Zen philosophy, you know? Like Zen mm. philosophy talks about like, oh, you have to, to free your mind, you have to free yourself, uh, yourself, yes, and this kind of stuff. But in Western, this usually kind, this usually comes to, okay, so you can do what you want, you know? Right, so, right, like, so, like LaVey and Satanism or whatever, where it's like the, the what is the line, the, oh, the, the, the whole of the law is, uh, or oh, do what thou wilt, that is the whole of the law, where it's like, it, do whatever you want. Yeah, this comes from Alistair Crowley, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, he talks a little bit about about of this too, but he, he he has some interesting ideas. Like we can go there if you want. <laughs> but hey, I think the the Livet is a better example. The Satanist and this kind of stuff. He's a better example in the sense, and also like uh, like uh, when Eastern philosophy and Eastern techniques came like in the '60s, and I think like in the United States. Like people would misunderstand that a lot, yes, because yeah. it work it works very well in a in a in a almost neoliberal society, yes. Like oh, you can do whatever you want, like yeah. uh, attend to your needs and this kind of stuff, yeah. Absolutely, and, yeah, no, for sure. And why why Zen philosophy says uh, some stuff closer close to like that? Like the life of a Zen monk. Is like very restricted, yes. Yeah. So like he like every part of his day is restricted by rituals, and everything is doing in a ritualistic sense. So, uh, so like the, the the argument is more or less that we only can find this kind of freedom, like we only can find this infinite possibilities once we have this this kind of very tight restrictions. Yeah, right. So, you know, sort you know, of when, so you, when, you, when you close off certain um, possibilities to yourself, you kind of open the door to a better understanding of who you are or what you're capable of or what you value or, or whatever. Yeah, no, for sure. Exactly. And I think that uh, uh, what I really like about video games, like, are... Or at least that's that's the common thread that I see most of my most of my work, like this gardening, this 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 essay about gardening games. Mm -hmm. Like uh, 
because like I think video games can open up the space for that, you know, because uh, like because they are interactive, interactive because you are doing an action. So I think they can open up very well to this kind of ritual thing, you know. I uh -huh. think uh, uh, there is all, there there was actually a, a game jam about rituals some time ago. And like, like, okay, so maybe like four or five years ago. And do you know the work of Michael Brew? Oh, that name sounds really familiar. What is some of his work? Yeah, he did. He did like nine. Uh, nine I always forget. Like nine, six, eight hack. Okay. Yes, yes. 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 I played. Yeah, I played he does that like the, these roguelikes. And yeah, that's a like really in, good game. Yeah, in very different styles, and he, he's actually living in Portugal right now, so he's learning oh. Portuguese too. Okay. <laughs> like his last game was called Set Paus, which is like a a, a card in. In Portuguese, you know, the name of a card. All the, uh, but all anyway, the good games are coming out in Portuguese now. This is like, this is a, a new thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of good work being done. But he, he did a, a little game for this game gen. It's actually called Ritual. I, I'm not sure. But it's like a bit of a conceptual work. Uh, it's a game where you, uh, you can do only one action per day, hmm. you know? Yeah. So you are like this monk... And you are walking down this corridor, and there are some some flowers and some stuff, and but you can only walk once a day. So you walk in a little tile, and then you walk, and then you stop and, and meditate. And you, the player, can only play the game tomorrow. You know, <laughs> so it takes like uh, like some months so you can finish the game. So you have to play it like a little bit every day. Oh wow. Know? And I think we already do that, like with a lot of games, uh, like competitive games. Like I like uh, Counter Strike a lot, mm -hmm. and like Dota and this kind of stuff that people like to play. And we do that, like we play these games like every day. Yes, like we do this. It's like and it if you're good at it, it becomes a ritual of sorts. Like you know, people will exactly. I and mean, that's why there's language around it. That's why. You know, it's hard to start the like. I'm I'm not good at mobas, so like. But every time I go into one, I'm just struck by the amount of language there is. Like just the amount of like not not like, like words that I have never really heard before. Like when I first heard jungling or something like that, where it's like, okay, what are you talking about with lanes? What's top? What's bottom? What's what's you know tank? What's this? Like all that stuff was just new to me when I started playing them, and and just like just like any sort of you know holy text, that's super important to the to the ritual. Exactly, and, and 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 that gets me thinking. Like, okay, so uh, if these are rituals or some sort, like, what kind of god are we praising? Yeah, like, what kind of? <laughs> like, I think that's a very interesting question to to, troubling, to ask. Yeah, you know? yeah, and but I think that mobas, like, like, like you said, like the language is a very good example because. Uh, I played a lot of League of Legends when I was more of a teenager, and like you get this this space where like there okay so you can walk around the map and you can do whatever you want but once you start learning the the rules that uh, that emerge logically from the rules of the game you know like the rules like the meta rules yeah like the meta game like when you start learning the language what is a tank what is a lane you you see that there's not much possibility you know like uh, the game wants to be played in a certain way or it's better to play it in a certain way you know like yeah. uh these last weeks i've been learning to play go the the japanese game yeah uh the japanese board game abstract game and this kind of stuff and it's a really hard game to get into i can only because, imagine yes <laughs> yeah because like it's it feels so complex yes it seems extremely complex that yeah yeah, the board is very big, and you can put pieces wherever you want. Uh, and okay, so so the rules are very simple because you can put pieces wherever you want, and you can move pieces. You know, like it's simpler than chess because chess you have to learn all the movements of all the different pieces, so right. you can learn the strategy and this kind of stuff. And 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 Go is very open-ended, so it feels like so overwhelming at first because you have this whole board and you can do whatever you want. But once you start learning the rules, like from this, from these simple rules, it mer it emerges a very 
a, a very large complexity that I find very amusing, you know? So mm. there's not actually a whole lot of things that you can do. Like, your actions are very limited, if you want to do the right actions, at least. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to play it well, uh, your actions are very limited. The space where you play is very limited. But this limitation only comes from the interaction with you and the other player and the game, of course. Yeah, you sure. Know? So, uh, huh. like, when we are talking about video games, like, I feel this, this interaction is, like, between you and the game creator in some sense. So, and this, the simple games like Super Hexagon, I think it's the greater example for me because it's, the rules are so simple and it's very straightforward, but from the simple rules, it emerges a logical, uh, it, it logically emerges something greater, you know, like why, I don't know, like why do you feel good when you do something amazing in Super X? Yeah, I was like, actually, I love that question you asked in the, in the, where like, why do I feel a sense of joy when I hear the the sort of narrator of the game say Super Hexagon? Like, that's a very good question. <laughs> and exactly. Why, why do I feel good when I beat my record? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It feels like, uh, it feels like from this, from... Uh, I don't know from these restrictions that we 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 do yes when we are tr when we are talking about games like it feels like from these restrictions we can't we we can like find I don't know find a greater goal that it's not in the game like that we we assert ourselves yes like mm. oh I want to I want to beat my high score because I don't know I want to improve even if it's meaningless yes because it's just a video game like it's 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 useless better yes it's not yeah. not yeah it's not like quite it meaningless but yeah it's sort of like a, it's not practical in the way that we're meant to understand value to be right like in a in a sort of capitalist society everything <clears throat> everything that's meaningful is also practical. Exactly, exactly. It's not. It's not that it's, it's meaningless, but it's like it's not useful for anything. Yeah. Yes, but but it makes us feel good. Like and like exactly in the the sense that uh, most video games are very uh, are very oriented about this outcome. Like, uh, it's not just about this feeling, but it's just, okay, you have to get something next, and then you have to get something next, and right. next, and next, right. you know? Like, uh, you never, there's no, there's, like, because there is an end, it, I don't know, like, it feels like, uh, because there's no outcome, it feels like it's, it's greater than it should be, you know? Yeah, no, exactly, and I think like I think that explains a lot of like why it's okay that at the end of the game it just says congratulations and that's it. Like, of course, like the, the end of the game is the least important part, um, which is a great way to think about games. It's sort of like it reminds me of um, of uh, of that that excellent documentary uh, King of Kong, which I think I brought up on the podcast before. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, it's very good. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have seen that. Yes, I actually used a little piece of it in my other in my video essay about oh, nice. uh, video games and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like that. The I had never heard of kill screens before. I um, I mean, I heard of the side kill screen, but I didn't know what the reference was. Um, but like that 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 concept where it's like the game just ends because it doesn't have anywhere else to go. Like that's such a cool, <laughs> such a great. It's such a great video game thing. Like, when, when stories don't work for me or when they feel kind of silly or when, like, you know, DLC is added to add more to the story because people aren't satisfied, like, all that stuff is well all well and good and I still play a lot of AAA games and definitely games with stories. But, like, when you get to a mechanical game where it's just, like, you know, feedback response and you're just trying to do something for the sake of doing it. I had this experience playing... Um, uh, Mario Odyssey the other day, where like I just kept doing the same thing for like three hours trying to get this one moon in the in the game, <laughs> and once I got it, like it really it wasn't about the moon. It was about like completing the the task set out for me, and once I was done with that, it was extraordinarily satisfying. And that at its core is like that's video games. Like the the ending doesn't matter. It's just about kind of doing doing a task. Exactly, I feel I, I feel that way too. Like uh, it's it, it, that's why I relate it so much to ritual because it's the 
act is more important than than the thing, you know? Yeah. Like the the essence of the thing, I don't know. Like because uh actually I was uh you said about King of Kong and I I heard you reference at, at this documentary in the episode of about speedruns and oh, okay. sometimes yeah. I feel Sometimes I feel a little crazy because, like, I start to see these things everywhere. But I think speedrunning is also a great example of this, you know? Like... Uh, Definitely. You know, like, uh, like AGDQ. Like, why is it so good to watch people, like, reaching their peak at something that it's completely, like, useless? Like we were saying, like, it's completely devoid of, uh, of the kind of outcome that we are that we are that we learn to expect in a capitalist system you know yeah i mean why like, is, why is um why do we care more about whether or not like someone's going to beat the time on rayman 2 i care about that way more than i care about whether or not agdq is going to beat its record for fundraising and like intellectually i know the rayman 2 score doesn't matter at all and the money that can be donated to, you know, whatever good cause they're working on that year actually could mean a lot in real life and real world consequences to the actual people. But sure. like gutturally, you're sort of you're much more concerned with the less meaningful one. Yeah, I think it, I think it reaches to I don't know, like you were you were referencing Lacan, I think it reaches like to to an unconscious level of of something. Yes, like yeah. Uh, like these closed systems that uh, are very arbitrary, but they become very meaningful somehow for some reason. Because I don't know, like because we can, we can, uh, maybe because we can measure uh, what we were, what we are doing in very precise ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know, I don't know, but uh, it feels really good to watch someone beat a game and set a world record. Like, and and like when you get into speed running and this kind of stuff, like all every game or almost every game, there's like a deep thinking about each and every aspect of it. You know, like some sections become almost sacred somehow. You know, like oh, this section, like this person managed to beat in like two seconds less that it was possible. Yeah, let's see if that, <laughs> see if you can beat this section without dying. Like, that's the, this is the part. This is the hard part. Where, like, you know, um, you know, I, I, I saw a couple where, like, they found a wall hack and, and it would be, like, they would be sort of, like, talking about how long the section used to take before this. But since this was found, um, you know, you don't have to deal with that anymore. Like, this is, this is revolutionary. Like, we cut off, the, you know... 35 seconds off the game or whatever yeah. like what, was that in Zelda Zelda that happened in Zelda yeah I was I was again the, the one that stuck with me this year was Rayman 2 that was a weird and fun run um but no the, yeah Zelda they I think they cut off like 30 minutes like they, it was a, it was a massive massive cut um yeah that was a huge deal they found like some glitch that you could skip I think I don't know quite a bit of Ocarina of Time yeah, that 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 was the case that I was thinking of, you know, and 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 it becomes like a, a like a, a like a very important part of the culture, yes. Yeah, definitely. Like these events, these moments, you know, and I think this importance, uh, I think it it can't be, um, what is the word that I'm looking here, like it, this importance can't be overlooked, mm-hmm. you know, because I think uh, I think. There is plenty to talk about how video games are bad. Of course. <laughs> and, and the video gaming industry is like poisonous and toxic and dangerous for everybody working in it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think there is like this this simple joy of of learning a game and managing to beat your your own expectations in some way. Mm. You know, like they I, I don't know. I, f- I, I, f- I feel like that's really important. And I actually feel that uh, these small games, like indie games, they because they are more focused, they are more able to do that than most games that we played, like those, which which is quite more becoming like games as service. Yes, like yes, uh, definitely. games that you sign up for life or something like this, you know? Oh, so I mean, I've signed up for so many different things where it's like, oh, well, I'll get the game free if I sign up for the online service that I'm going to use anyway. Like it, it, 
Absolutely. I mean, they, it's been a seamless transition. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that is a wonderful, I mean, I can't think of a better place to, to stop, but I, I do want to ask you before you go, what have you, what have you been playing recently? Anything, anything good? Well, I've been playing a lot of Go, like I've been saying. Oh, yeah, a lot of Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been learning a lot, so I've been playing a lot of my cell phone because my computer is not working right now. Oh, no. So I haven't been able to keep up with things that are coming out, you know. <laughs> well, that's yeah, okay. But last, but last year I was playing a lot of... Uh, uh, actually, I was playing a lot of Monster Hunter oh, when it came game. out. Yeah, it's a, and because of similar similar feelings, you know, because it's very repetitive in in, in a lot of senses. Yeah. But I this repeti- this repetition like calms me a lot in some ways, you know. I totally understand that. Absolutely. Yeah, I um I for a long time and I never did. It doesn't really matter that I didn't based on every single if, I don't have to explain that if you've listened this far in the episode it probably makes sense. But um uh I, I tried to perfect Ikaruga, the the uh, top-down bullet hell, for a long time. And um, that was really fun, and I perfected the first level a couple of times and, you know, never made it past that, really. Um, I can beat the game, but, you know, only with the unlimited continues thing. But the repetition, knowing what was coming next, knowing that, okay, this is the sequence I have to do. This is what I need to do to get through this. This is the perfection. The perfectibility of this moment is, is like, I have to do this. Um knowing what was coming was I, I did that almost daily just to calm down like it was just like a part of my my daily ritual yeah I think that's awesome Ikaruga and Shmups in, in general are, are very good examples of that too yes Definitely. because like the, it's very clear yes it's very like um, uh, it's very uh, it's like it, it feels like a sport in the sense, yes, because the rules are very in Super Hexagon too. I think I talk a little bit about this because it's very the rules are very clear. So I think like uh, yeah, and they're inflexible too. Like there's yes, no, there's no exception. And inflexible, exactly. I feel like most games like like to I don't know like triple A games. I don't want to be a generalist, but like most triple A games that we see is like a a. a, a a really long repetition of tasks, but they don't feel the same way because things are are much less clear, and the ways you can improve are much less clear mm-hmm. too because of that. You know, yeah. and it's very flexible too because oh, you're losing, but you can press this button to do this very powerful thing. And Ikaruga and Super Hexagon don't do that. Yes, like okay, <laughs> no. so you're losing, you're going to lose, but you can improve, you can get better. You can at just it, play it again. Know? Yeah, right. Start again. Start again. Start again. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it feels it's like different. the pleasure of learning too. Yeah, <laughs> like the pleasure, uh, like learning anything that's difficult, like a language for, like in a sense too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's 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 the difference between it's the difference between like um, completing something and learning something. Like I think a lot of people when they talk about their exhaustion over video games, it's always because they're just like, okay, I got another ninety-hour game to finish, I guess, and like. I feel that exhaustion sometimes, but I don't feel that same exhaustion when I'm talking about a game like Super Hexagon, where it's like, oh, this is just like, this is just refreshing. I can learn this game when I want to and put it down when I don't want to. And it's, it, it isn't asking me to complete it, it's just asking me to experience it. Exactly. I, fe- I, I, fe- I think that's very, very good too, because uh, I, I also understand this feeling that people have, like, that, that feeling of exhaustion, because. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's very repetitive, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and usually uh, usually I don't have time, so I don't play a lot of video games, so I have to choose the, the video games I play very well, <laughs> and because because of yeah. that, uh, I managed to, to, to stay a little bit out of out of this sense of exhaustion, but there's a there's so much that I'm just not interested in. You know, I think that's I, I think that's my main problem. Like there's all these games coming out and I feel exhausted because I'm not interested in most of them. Mm. Because most of them just feel like, okay, so I've seen this before. It's yeah. going to be a comfortable experience, but it's it's okay, it's alright. It's not that it's bad, but like if I, I I I prefer to repeat <laughs> other actions, like to do other rituals, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's probably the title of the episode. I prefer to do other rituals. I like that a lot. That's, that's, a, that's really a good, good ending. Yeah. That's nice. Um, well, so um, 
And Ike, where, where can people find your work? Uh, that's a good question. I, I have a, I have a, a page that's called enriqueantero.contently.com. It's on the service that you can put your stuff up there and it becomes like a little bit of portfolio. I think that's the most uh, cohesive uh, way to find my work okay. because there are some stuff in Portuguese, but there are some stuff in English too. But the other stuff like are kind of scattered around the internet, you know, in some, some websites, in my medium, my medium, there's a lot yeah. of stuff. Well, and don't worry, if you see, if you see the uh, Portuguese, you'll know it's Portuguese. It doesn't, it's okay. And a lot of it's translated. So, I mean, definitely go check that out. And then you're on Twitter too at uh, Enrique Text, TXT. Yeah, it, it's, Enrique is like a little bit like, a, a, it's like a typo <laughs> or something like, so uh, one of the letters is, it, it changes places, but it's, it's, yes, it's. <laughs> yeah, H-E-R-N-I-Q-U-E-T-X-T, right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, no, definitely follow, follow uh, Enrique on all of the, all the places you can, and um, yeah, I, the next time I come across a game that is uh, meditative and uh, reminds me of our conversation, I will definitely get in touch, and we'd love to have you back. Sure, nice. for sure, I would love to talk about it some more. <laughs> definitely. All right, great, well, um, thanks, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you very much for having me. See you, man. <laughs> <laughs>